As Kara was singing, I looked up the word reckless. It means marked by lack of proper caution, careless of consequences. To think about God's love for us as being reckless, marked by lack of proper caution. How many times do we have caution in our love for one another? Careless of the consequences. He took all the consequences upon himself. Thank you. And that is much about what our uh, study is actually going to be. Uh, welcome to the beginning of our study of 1 Peter. We're going to be spending the next couple months, Lord willing, uh, going through 1 Peter. Um, before we dig in, uh, I'd like to offer a word of prayer to the author of the book. We need God's help to help us understand what's here and we need his help in applying what's here. And so we'll come to him and um, ask for his help. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to get a sense of that reckless love that you have shown us, that overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love that you have demonstrated to us. And now, Lord, I ask that you would speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, Truths that are unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace we'll stand on your promises and by faith we'll walk as you walk with us. So speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. God, may you open the eyes of our hearts and minds to understand your great truths this day. In Jesus' name, amen. We often talk about goals in life and putting hope in our goals. Uh, do you ever try to find hope for your life only to have that hope dashed by the reality that surrounds and engulfs you? Uh, the goals are set, the hopes are set, and then life happens and uh, things just don't work the way they're supposed to work. Uh, one of my favorite sayings in that regard as I was reflecting on this message is this, it's hard when you're up to your armpits and alligators to remember you came here to drain the swamp. Doesn't that characterize our lives sometimes? We have goals of things that we want to accomplish and then life happens to us and when the alligators are surrounding us, it's hard to remember that our initial objective was to drain the swamp. That's a lot of what uh, our study of 1 Peter is going to be about life on our journey home. We are on a journey home together. We, as Christians, we have an understanding that this world is not our home, that uh, something better is coming for us. Uh, and what does life look like uh, on that journey home? Uh, one thing I like to do sometimes when I'm studying a passage is do something that's called a word cloud. A word cloud is a, is a computer program that you put in the words of whatever passage you want to study, and it will count the number of times a particular word is used and then display it graphically with the larger the word being the more number of times it was counted. I did this for the entire book of 1 Peter, and this is what the word cloud came up. And if you'll notice, what is 1 Peter about? It's about God. It's about Christ. Now, you also notice it's also about suffering. Uh, and there's also good in there. So, uh, I hope you're not sitting there saying, okay, now we're going to spend the next couple of months talking about suffering. Thank you for a wonderful summer. 
uh, because First Peter is about suffering. The word suffer and suffering is used more times in First Peter than many other places. However, based on what this word cloud looks like, we're not going to spend our focus on suffering. We may talk about suffering. We're going to be talking about God and Christ and the goodness that he has brought to us. And today's introduction to that is, is uh, going to set the stage. So what I'd like to do, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Uh, today's title, Born Again to a Living Hope, is actually taken from a verse in this passage. So I invite you to turn there. Uh, and I'd really invite you to turn there because I don't want you to take my word for anything that is said. I want you to confirm what I'm saying by looking at the word itself. I believe that's how God speaks to us as, as a community together. Uh, and that way you hold me accountable because if I say something and you come back and say, well, that's not what I saw here, uh, we can dialogue together. So it's very important. So again, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we're going to take a look at this. Uh, we're going to break this down into four sections here. The first one is introducing our living hope. I hope you notice where that came from in verse 3. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. And so we're going to talk about uh, introducing our living hope, which Peter does in the first two verses. And these two first two verses are packed with truth that would take us a long time by themselves just to settle uh, and to understand. But let's dive in. Peter identifies himself as an apostle. That means an eyewitness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there. He saw Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And he's writing to, he says, those who are the elect exiles of the dispersion. Now, this letter was written probably around 62, 63 AD by Peter, likely from Rome, which we'll see later in the book, where it is believed he was executed 
uh, perhaps a year or two later, under Emperor Nero's persecution of the Christians in Rome. It was written to people living now in what is uh, uh, Turkey, uh, modern Turkey, see the Mediterranean Sea there, and he's writing to believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And that section, again, as we know now, is modern Turkey. And he says that they are elect exiles of the dispersion. Elect exiles of the dispersion. This is a concept that Peter is introducing that we'll see throughout the book. We are exiles, and he's talking to them as exiles, resident foreigners, people living in a strange place, away from their own home, away from their own people. As Christians, that describes us. We are exiles. We are resident foreigners. We are living in a strange place, away from our own people, our own home. And he says they are of the dispersion. That is, they are scattered abroad. As Christians, we are not located in one geographical place. We're not in one location. We are scattered abroad, uh, just as the people back then were, who were believers in Christ. The word is actually referred to the Jewish people who were scattered. They were not living in Israel, but was scattered around. Peter uses this term to describe us as believers and then he says, not only are you exiles of the dispersion, but he says, you are the elect exiles of the dispersion. You are chosen. You are picked out. You are called by God into relationship with himself. You are the elect exiles of the dispersion. And then he goes into these four underlying truths that were important. He wanted them to know because they were beginning to know what it was like to live in a hostile environment. These believers were beginning to know, beginning to learn what it was like to live in a hostile environment. There was likely discrimination arising out of Christians' unwillingness to take part in societal life associated with idolatry. Well, it sounds a lot like us, doesn't it? Sounds a lot like us. Learning what it is to live in a hostile environment. And Peter gives these four underlying truths to remind them of how they got where they are and the order of these is important. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God's in charge. He looked down through history. He's in charge of history. He called you. He initiated this. He did this. It had nothing to do with you. This is God's plan. This is God's doing. This is God's work. According to the foreknowledge of God. Well, God has called you. What, is, what comes out of that? He says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. In the sanctification of the Spirit. God's desire for us is to sanctify us. Big word meaning to change us to be holy, to conform us to his image. He knows we are sinners and we need to have our lives transformed from those sinful lives to lives that are holy, that are lives in conformity with his character. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit. For obedience to Jesus Christ for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's easy to think that because we live in a time of grace that obedience is not something that God calls for. No, he does call for us to be obedient. But as I said, the order is important. He doesn't call us to be obedient in order that we can gain his favor. He has given us his favor. He has given us his spirit and then calls us to be obedient and living out that. And we'll see this as we go through this letter as well. So they are according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. We are in constant need of forgiveness as we go through this life. Uh, and the blood of Jesus Christ is not just something that we believe in for our initial 
salvation, our initial coming to God, it's something that we need on an ongoing basis as we get to know him. And then Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. May God's unmerited favor, may his grace come to you, may it be multiplied to you, and may the peace that's the result of that favor come to you, the freedom from anxiety, the freedom from inner turmoil, the harmonious relationships, the rest, the contentment, all that God has for us, may that peace come to us, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So that's the introduction of our living hope, and this really sets the stage for what Peter's going to be talking about through the rest of the letter. But now let's talk about the progress of our living hope, the progress of our living hope, which we're going to see in verses 3 to 7. He opens this in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is to be well spoken of. And I think this is both a response to what he just said, as well as in anticipation of what he's now about to say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter, in this next section, looks to the past, he looks to the future, and then he looks to our present to put it in context. And so let's see at verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter looks back, and this is a past tense. He has caused us to be born again. You know, it's a word that gets thrown around in our culture a lot and almost has lost its meaning. Let's not let it lose its meaning. The fact is, we were born once when we were born physically. Jesus says we need to be born again. We need to be born spiritually because even though we're alive physically, we are dead spiritually. We are separated from God. We are alienated from Him. That is death. And we are destined for an eternity of separation from Him. And Jesus says you need to be born again. And Peter says here, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. We were once dead but have been made alive. And it is according to his great mercy. It's not because we deserve it. That goes back to that reckless love of God, right? He's giving us something we don't deserve. It's according to his great mercy. He loved us. He approached us. He initiated this to call us into relationship with him. And it was accomplished by him. He says here, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus came, lived the perfect life, did not deserve to die, but when he died on the cross, he died in our place to pay the penalty for our sins. He died the death we deserve to die, came back to life, and because of that, we can be born again when we put our faith in him through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And Peter says then, it's, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope, a living hope that a hope, that confident expectation of a favorable outcome, that confident expectation of a favorable outcome. And it's a living hope. It's not a dead hope. A dead hope is the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl in 2019. All right, well, that's gone. <laughs> Can't happen, right? It's probably close to a dead hope that the Eagles are going to win the Super Bowl in 2020. Putting our hope in the things of this world is a dead hope. The things of this world are not going to be able to rescue us from the problems that plague us the most. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The living God giving life to his people. It's a living relationship with the living God who brought us from death 
back into the land of the living. Our hope is a living hope. And when you think of something as living, what's the difference between something that's living and something that's dead? Something that's living is something that's growing, that's changing, that's maturing, that's moving. That's what God gives us. He gives us a hope that is living, that is changing, that is growing, that is maturing. It's not a static thing. It's not a dead hope. So Peter looks to the past and says, God has caused us to be born again. But then he looks to the future. Look at verse 4. He's caused us to be born again to an inheritance that it, it is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. He's caused us to be born again to an inheritance. Peter looks to, uh, ahead to the future. Uh, he says in the end of verse 5, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That inheritance is ready to be revealed in the last time, and it's there for us. Now, there are a couple ways you can lose an inheritance. Anybody here uh, stand to gain anything from somebody else? You have an uncle that dies or somebody, right? There's, nobody wants to admit anything because we might come asking for some money. I don't know. <laughs> what is, is it? Uh, many of us stand to gain an inheritance. But the problem with inheritances, Peter points out here in verse 4, he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Well, if you have your hope in the stock market that that's where your inheritance is coming from, it might just perish. It might die. Uh, if you have your finances into some kind of scam investment, uh, it is defiled, it is poisoned, it is dirty, and you might end up losing it. Or if the stock market crashes, it, you're just going to watch it dwindle away. Or you might have, it may be your inheritance is coming from a rich relative who suddenly gets sick, and you just watch your inheritance getting spent on hospital bills and doctor bills and things. God says our inheritance is kept in heaven for us, which means God is keeping it. So the validity of our inheritance, the security of our inheritance is only as good as the one keeping it. Well, if God is the one keeping our inheritance, how secure is it? He says it is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it's unfading. But there's another way you can lose your inheritance, right? So let's say I, I have a wealthy relative who has put me in their will and I stand to gain lots of money from them, uh, and then I die before they do. Didn't do me any good, right? So what does Peter go on to say? Not only is this inheritance kept in heaven for us, but in verse 5 he says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Not only does God keep the inheritance for us, he keeps us for the inheritance. Not only are we guaranteed that the inheritance is going to be waiting for us when we get there, we are guaranteed we're going to get there to receive the inheritance. And this inheritance is not just the absence of pain. It's the presence of this rich inheritance. It's a positive. It's what God is giving us. We have hope now because of what is coming. We can have hope in this life and in this world because of what is coming. So Peter puts these two bookends. He says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We can look back. For those of us who have trusted Christ as our Savior, we have this firm foundation that God has called us into relationship with himself. And then he gives us a picture of this future, this rich inheritance which is kept for us, and God is going to keep us for the inheritance. There's no way we can lose this. There's no way we can lose this inheritance. So now Peter turns to the present. 
He says in verse 6, in this you rejoice. Isn't that great? We rejoice. But then a dark note sounds. A dark note sounds. In the midst of all this wondering thing, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Even though now, for a little while, you have been grieved by various trials. All right, Peter, this was going so well. God has saved us. We have this great inheritance. Why are you introducing suffering? This dark note is sounded that accompanies the joy. We are grieved now by various trials, the suffering in this life. Uh, the word various refers, it comes in all shapes and sizes and colors, Suffering in this world comes from minor annoyances to how can I possibly survive this kind of difficulties and pain, financial problems, illnesses, disappointments, failed dreams, broken relationships, natural disasters, and on and on and on and on. There are all kinds of sufferings and disappointments that enter into our lives uh, in all shapes, sizes, and colors. But look what Peter says about them here, and through Peter is what God is really telling us. He says, they're for a little while. They are for a little while. They're not going to negate the inheritance. They are for a little while. Now, if we live to be 80, 90, 100 years, it doesn't feel like a little while. But in terms of eternity, it's a little while. It's a little while. But then he says something that is dramatic. Those two little words in the ESV... He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, if necessary. He didn't say if it's inevitable or it is inevitable because we all live in this world where there is suffering. We all know that suffering is a part of this world. But Peter says, if necessary, that implies some intentionality to this. If necessary that you suffer. That is, these sufferings are orchestrated by God and used by God for us. And look what he says there. So that, in verse 7, the tested genuineness of your faith, the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. These trials test the genuineness of the faith that we have in God. Now, it's very interesting, this word test, because what it means, and the example that Peter uses is an example of gold. He said, it's just like gold. Now, gold is going to perish, he says, but it's just like gold, so that the test of genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold, because gold is going to perish. So, um, I have a friend who's a metallurgist who deals in precious metals, and he and I talk about this frequently. Uh, they don't do it so much anymore. You purif purify gold these days by chemical means. Uh, so I couldn't talk to him much about it because that didn't help my analogy. Uh, but in the old days, the way to purify gold is you melt it down. You melt it. You apply heat, melt it down, and what happens? The impurities rise to the surface. You take them off. And you can test by that melting it down how pure the gold is. Because if there's a lot of impurities that come out, you can say, well, that wasn't very pure. And if there are not many impurities come out, you say, well, that was pretty pure gold. But catch this. The very fact of melting it down to see what's in it did what? It purified the gold even further. Because whatever impurities were in there came out. That's what God does with the sufferings of our lives. 
He melts us down to reveal the impurities of our lives. So it tests the genuineness of our faith, but while at the same time it's testing, it is purifying. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a minute. I had a, per a personal example yesterday. I went for a bike ride. Many of you know I like to bicycle. And uh, there are a few hills in the area that I use as uh, a test to see the level of my fitness and how I'm doing and just to see uh, how I'm doing. So I went for a ride yesterday, went on one of my favorite hills. Let me just tell you that the ride yesterday proved that my fitness is not quite where I would like it to be. I failed the test. Uh, I had some challenges. There were four or five times I was ready to call Laurel and say, would you please come pick me up? But that would have been a little too embarrassing, so I just slogged through it. Uh, so that was a test. And in a sense, I failed the test because it, I did not accomplish what I wanted to do. But it's another thing, I passed the test because it revealed who I really was. And what's going to happen? Once my legs start hurting, stop hurting, I'm going to be better off for that effort that I put in yesterday than if I hadn't done it at all. So the test does two things. It reveals the reality of what's in there, but it also is an opportunity to improve. It's an opportunity to be better. God is not interested in our physical fitness. He's interested in our hearts. He's interested in the change of our hearts. Now, I'm not going to, you fitness gurus, don't go out there and tell me God doesn't care about our physical fitness. Yes, Loretta, I'm looking at you. God does care about those things, but he cares most importantly about our hearts. And what's the problem? See, I can, get, I can improve my fitness if I ride more often, if I ride, do things. I cannot improve my heart. We cannot improve our hearts. We cannot change our hearts. Only God can change our hearts. So what does God do? I want you not to miss this. Suffering, whether it is self-induced or otherwise, is the common lot of all of us who live. But for the Christian, God takes those sufferings and turns them from things that can destroy us into things that he uses to refine us. He does more than rescue us from the trials. He actually rescues us because of the trials. He does more than rescue us from the trials. He actually rescues us because of the trials. He uses the struggles and disappointments of life to make us like Jesus. See, we still struggle with sin in this life. Any of us who are aware of our hearts know that we still struggle. God uses the sufferings of this life to melt us down, to melt us down, so that the impurities of our hearts are exposed and can thus be removed. God does not call us to a rock-up-and-get-through-it approach to suffering. This too will pass. How often do we tell one, don't worry, this suffering is only for a little while, it's, you know, it's going to pass. No, that's not how God looks at this. God looks at this and says, I'm bringing this into your life, I'm allowing this into your life, I've not removed it from your life because I'm, I'm after something bigger, I'm after your heart. And these Trials are going to melt you down. They're going to apply heat to your life to allow the impurities to rise to the surface, the anger, the bitterness, the selfishness, the pride, uh, the coveting, whatever it is in your heart. I'm going to allow these things to rise to the surface because of your sufferings, not so that I can be mean to you, so I can expose them to you and we can get rid of them by the power of the Holy Spirit and the obedience of the Word. God melts us down 
so that he can purify us just as gold is melted down to be purified. And notice this salvation that God is talking about that Peter is outlining is past, it's present, and it's future. You can say, well, I was saved when I trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But you can also say, I am being saved as God uses suffering in our lives to transform us into his image. And you can say, I will be saved on that final day when Jesus comes back and rescues us and takes us to our eternal inheritance. Our hope in this life is what he has done, what he is doing, and where it is going, what he's going to do. That's why it's a living hope. It's this changing, growing thing. Well, then Peter goes on to say, well, how do we access this? This sounds, well, it sounds good, right? Suffering is no fun, and I'm, I don't mean to minimize the impact of suffering in our lives. What I do hope to do is change our thinking about the suffering in our lives. Very often we see suffering as, well, there's something I did wrong, I just got to get through it, or suffering is because what you did to me and I'm just going to have to figure out how to deal with this. No, whatever the source, God uses those sufferings to conform us to his image. Well, how can I access this? How can I get into this? Peter says in verse 8, though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. How do we make these things ours? It's by faith, he says here, the outcome of your faith. He says, you have not seen him. You have never seen him. And he goes on to say, and you don't even see him now. You've never seen Jesus. Now, Peter could say, I have. But none of us here can say we've seen Jesus. We've never seen him. We don't see him now. He says, but you love him. You believe in him. You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And the outcome of your faith is salvation. We believe that he died on the cross and was raised so that we can be born again. We've never seen him. We didn't see him die. We didn't see him raise, rise. But we believe it. We believe there's a great inheritance waiting in heaven for us and that it will be kept for us and that we will be kept for it. We don't see the inheritance. We have no guarantee in ourselves of what we can see that it's going to happen. We believe that God is as good as his word. We believe that all the events of our lives are orchestrated by God to mold our character, to purify us, to make us like Jesus. We are called to live by faith that these unseen realities are true, past present, future. We are called to live by faith that these unseen realities are true. So do you believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead? Do you believe there's an eternal inheritance? And do you believe that God is in the middle of your life right now, whatever struggles or trials that they, there are, and he wants to use them for his purposes to make you more like Jesus? That's a life of faith. That's how we access our living hope. Then Peter goes on to put this hope in a context. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. 
See, God predicted the coming of Jesus, predicted the coming of the Savior, coming of the Messiah through the Old Testament prophets. And the prophets, they knew that something was coming, Peter says. They, They knew they were looking forward to what they were saying, and they just didn't know what it was. They didn't know what it was. They inquired, they searched carefully. They asked God. There are records of sometimes the prophet saying, God, what does this mean? And God saying, it's not for you to know. Just write it down. It's going to come later. Well, the later for us has come now with the coming of Jesus Christ. This is about God's eternal plan. This is not about us or us now. Jesus' coming is not just about us. We are part of a much larger plan that God is doing in history. So God revealed some things to the Old Testament prophets who came before us, but not the specifics or the who or the when. And Peter says, even the angels wanted to know. It's very interesting to think about that, right? The angels in heaven didn't even know. They knew something was coming, but they didn't know the details. Well, Jesus is the fulfillment of all that has been written beforehand from Genesis onward. Well, let's look at some of the implications of this. I wanted to put this in graphic form to see if it would help us to understand where we fit in the larger context of things. So there's a timeline of history. There's eternity past. There's eternity future. And at some point in time, Jesus came and died on the cross, rose from the dead. Well, as we just said with Peter, the prophets prophesied. They told of his coming but didn't, the question mark means that they didn't understand all the details of that. They didn't know the who. They didn't know the when. They didn't know the details that we know now. And the angels wanted to look into this too, and they didn't know. But now here we are, and Peter says there are three places we need to look. We need to look to the past. We need to look to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also need to look forward to the future that God has promised for us of the eternal inheritance that we have. But we also need to look to the now, this time between where we're living now until we get home, to remember that God is at work in our lives. We're not just here treading water until we get to heaven. God is at work in our lives right now and desires to transform us and change us into his image. So if you're a believer, you are part of this eternal plan that God has placed. You have become a member, a journeyer, a sojourner, a traveler on this road to eternal life. And God has placed you there and has promised to keep you there. Now, a quick word for unbelievers. If you are an unbeliever, if you are a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, there is no journey home. There's no home. There's no eternal life. There's no inheritance. Whatever hope there is is a dead hope. There's no real way to make sense out of life. What lies ahead is eternal separation from God and all that is good. And so the invitation that Peter would extend that really God extends and I extend on his behalf, are you willing to change your citizenship by being born again? Are you willing to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Are you willing to put your faith and trust in God through Jesus Christ? And are you willing to join us in this journey, the people of God, the elect exiles of the dispersion? Are you willing to join us? And what makes a difference? It's according to God's great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Faith that Jesus died for our sins and was raised bodily. Faith that there is a secure inheritance waiting for those who believe. Faith that the trials of this life are God's tools to mold our character. 
brothers and sisters, we need to remind each other of these things. We need to remind each other that we have been born again to a living hope because sometimes we forget in the midst of the trials and difficulties. And I heard this phrase, Laurel and I heard this phrase recently, let us wallpaper our reality with the truths of God's Word on our journey home. Let us wallpaper our reality. Let's take God's Word and let's wallpaper our lives, wallpaper our reality with the truth of God's Word as we travel together on our journey home. Let's close in prayer. Father, I trust that you will take the truths of your word and drive them deep into our hearts and lives. I pray that you would help us to realize that our lives are not dependent upon us, but are dependent upon you what you have done, what you will do, what you are doing, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved, that you have done everything and will do everything to see us safely through. You, have, you are keeping an inheritance for us that is safe and secure, and you will keep us for the inheritance to make sure that we get there. And so, Father, help us as we reflect on these things to realize, again, your reckless love and that you're so good to us, that you are so good to us. We do not deserve this, but may your grace and peace be multiplied to us as we learn what it is that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And I pray that you would help us each to learn what it is to transform our thinking about the sufferings of this life, to see them not as threats to our existence, but as tools in the hands of our loving God to mold us into your character until we get home. And so may your spirit have his way in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.